This is a Wool Observatory podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Starsky, a space oddity. Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Stuff. I am your host, Cody Halfmoon, and today I have wrangled some astronomers to talk to us about what astronomers do in the dark. And I, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> I made it sound creepy uh, for a reason. To my left is Dr. Captain Gerard Van Bell, PhD <laughs> of Lowell Observatory. Esquire. Esquire. The Esquire part. Esquire magazine. Yeah. And then uh, CRD. <laughs> so actually, Doctor CR. So actually, it's really funny because I, everybody calls me by my last name all the time, including yep. my mom. Just CRD. Yep. Yep. All right, we're going with that. Yep. Then you will yep. never know his first name. It is a secret, industry secret. That's right. Uh, and the reason why we have them here today is because we wanted to know, like, what do astronomers really do? Uh, you guys observe, so you set mm-hmm. these telescopes to track objects in the night sky, uh, and then you wait. You trip the shutter and you just hang out and you let the data come on down. And so how many hours does it take to do this? Well, you go dusk until dawn. In fact, uh, a lot of times you'll even start before dusk because you're setting things up and calibrating things and getting them rolling. Actually, you often start before dinner and then you get the calibrations done, you get set up, you go to dinner, have a glass of wine or a beer. Mm-hmm. No, you don't do that. Well, actually, no. I do. But anyway, <laughs> um, and then and then depending on what you're doing, soon as the sun goes down and um, then you sit and then yep. you and then you start then your you program ba- you babysit the it, equipment it depends on how how active your program is so if you have you know 50 targets in one night you could be moving from target to target every 5 minutes yeah you could have mm. you could be doing one long thing at one piece of the sky because you're interested in you know a galaxy that's you know 13 billion light years away um or you can a galaxy be, that's far, far away. Galaxy that's right. Far, far away. Okay. Been a long time um, ago. Or you're interested in one object, but you're taking like, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of exposures of it because you want to know what it does over time. Or you're looking at, you know, like a hundred objects, and you want to, you know, get it, get an image of that one, and get an image of that one, and get an image of that one. Okay. So every night is a little bit different depending on exactly what the astronomer wants to do. And what is it that y'all do? What's your what's your background? What is it that you guys are looking for when you are observing? So I do a lot of work on stellar astrophysics, and so I'm looking at stars rather than galaxies that are far, far away. Mm-hmm. And um, the kind of observing that I do, say at the Lowell Discovery Telescope or other telescopes, tends to have a very high workload like that, where it's lots of rapid fire observing, and so you're always busy. And I like that because it keeps you awake, but it does get in the way of doing more important things like watching bad films. Yes, but, uh, which is what you know, I want to talk about. That's right. And so, yeah, so it does vary from, from uh, observing run to observing run, depending on what you're looking at. But that's, for me, that's principally what I do. So my uh, background is I study... Uh, Formation and evolution of exoplanetary systems, so systems that have um, other planets, planets outside of our solar system. Mm-hmm. And my particular part of expertise are binary star systems that have planets. Uh, and so I want the three under- body problem. Very much the three body problem. I want to understand how this star has planets, and it also has another star. Does that star have planets? Are the planets in the system any different than the kinds of planets that we find in single star systems? Like, so it, like, sorry, like Jupiter or something like that? Jupiter, like a and, star. Jupiter and Earth's, um, uh, you know, and there's a whole, you know, the universe makes stars in a whole variety of sizes. So the sun is kind of a middle 
middle of the road kind of star, and there's a crap ton of smaller <laughs> stars. Technical and, term. And <laughs> not so much of a crap ton of much larger stars. Mm. Uh, and uh, approximately half of the stars in the sky have a stellar companion uh, that formed along with it. Our sun uh, is one of the stars that does not have a stellar mm. companion. Um, and most of the work in the past 30 years of working on exoplanets uh, has avoided the binary star systems because they're really complicated and they're yeah. just a pain in the butt to deal with. And so one of my questions is, what does that second star do? How does it right. how does it change the formation? How does it change the evolution? Right? Do both stars have planets? Is it only one star? So when you're studying this light, you're differentiating between the two suns. Or yeah, so actually stars. this is partly yeah. how we collaborate. Is yeah. Gerard that's has, adorable. Gerard has a <laughs> camera adorable. that's designed. You have no idea how it is. So Gerard has this camera that's designed to uh, make very high resolution images. Um, and we use that camera to uh, see if these stars that we know have a planet also might have a second star with it. Okay. A lot of times when these stars are in pairs, the pairs are actually very close together, and it's hard to tell if you're looking at a, a single star or a pair of stars. Aww. That's adorable. This just keeps it's, getting it's cuter and cuter. Yep. I, who knew astronomy could be so adorable? So is it your, um, you're seeing when the light is interrupted, and that's how you know that a planet... So for most of these stars, uh, that's how we discover the planet, is that it's through the transit method, mm -hmm. um, where, the, where the planet orbits in front of the star and blocks a piece of the light, and the apparent brightness of the star dims mm -hmm. um, and then it returns back to its brightness as the planet gets out of the way um, and uh, most of the work most of the systems I study have been discovered by uh, Kepler and then now oh, okay. NASA's new mission TESS actually it's not so new TESS had its five-year anniversary yesterday, yesterday. yep unbelievable um, uh, and so we spend you know there are literally thousands of candidate systems that we are following up and approximately um, half of those have a stellar companion as well as the planets in them. Oh, and where do you do your research? All over the place. So, uh, so I'm actually located at the uh, NASA Exoplanet Science Institute, which is on the campus of Caltech. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so I'm in Pasadena, California, mm -hmm. uh, and we're associated with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and oh. we're part of the hmm. uh, NASA Exoplanet Exploration Program. Nice. I have friends there in the design department. Oh, excellent. Yeah. You should come visit. Yes, that's a lot you, of fun. You should cool. come visit. That's and awesome. And i give you a tour of Palomar Observatory. Yes. You know, I will take him up on that. Oh, yeah. I am, I'm impulsive. So get his card or, or get, you know, get, no. <laughs> sorry. Find out where Gerard lives. No. Mm -hmm. She knows where I work. Get, Me too. <laughs> get his, get, get my him up on Twitter. Get my information from him. From him, mm -hmm. and um, it's a good thing I turned my phone off because I was right. I got a phone call that I ignored. Was it from NASA? It was actually. Oh my god! <laughs> it was actually, it was actually, it was actually, on it was actually yeah. from NASA headquarters. Can you answer it? Uh, it's too late now. He hung up. Dang I can, it. I can call him back. Call him back. Uh, they're usually angry calls. Ooh! No. <laughs> it's all about budgets. Yeah. Nobody cares. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's all about budgets. All those. Scary... We hide. We hide all the other importance. <laughs> actually, we do not do that for all the conspiracy theories right. out there. We do not actually hide anything. No, should, that's our job. That's I should what we do. never have said that. No. <laughs> no. If, uh, if we found the little green man, we would tell everybody. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think Absolutely. if you look at the track record of the community, we, we are would tell terrible. everybody not to tell anyone. That's right. We're terrible <laughs> at keeping secrets. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. So. Well, um, so and you guys started collaborating because you were looking at binary star systems. So 
What's your meat cute? That's one way of putting it. But the other way of putting it is that David and I are in an enviable part of our careers where we're senior enough that we can collaborate with who we want to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we just like working together. So, oh, okay. So we yeah. literally That's have known fun. each other for 30 years. Yeah. So we went to graduate school together. At which graduate school? school? Graduate school. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was the best man at his wedding. Really? Yeah. yeah. And my kids call him Uncle Gerard. His no. kids call me Baldy. Yes, they do. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, literally have been friends forever. I really want to relish in this moment because I am very young and my co-hosts are typically much younger mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to relate. So I just want, you've known each other for 30 years. Yep. I was four years old when you met and I just oh, want boy. you to think about that <laughs> and I want that to sink Thank in because I want to feel very young right now you, and it's, it's rare on my team. Yeah. I'm like mm-hmm. the old auntie vibe and I don't like it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. We You're so that. welcome. You're that. so welcome. So what do y'all do when you're observing something and you know it's going to be an all-nighter and you're stuck at some really cool dorky-looking telescope? Mm -hmm. And I want to put an image. I'm going to have Nate put like an image of the LDT right here because I think I've talked to you about this. It is the I, cutest looking telescope. Yeah, you need yeah. to get like a little, like a little model, like a Lego model. You guys should oh. make, a, make a Lego. We model. have one. Oh, I it's like a, a the three D the three D printed print. Model? Yeah, that I um, we <laughs> we we're taking it to. Uh, it was made by NAU. Yeah, for the purposes of like showing oh, I've people. Seen, yeah. You've seen this. Yeah, we broke it. <laughs> it was never <laughs> meant to travel the distances that we. I mean, it's been to like Hawaii, I think. I was gonna say yeah. you broke it from. From NAU to here, like driving no, back and immediately yeah. just shattered. Uh, we broke the the little guy on the top, the little lens that has the uh, lattices on it. What's that? I don't know. The secondary truss. The secondary truss. I knew yep. what that was called. Yep. And um, so I had to learn how to do 3D print modeling that Excellent. night. Ah, so you're and build a new one. I did okay. it in one night, oh, cool. and then we painted it, and we got it all together, and then AAS uh, winter was canceled for COVID. <laughs> Oh, this oh, was like in 2019 or 2020 or whatever. This was or last year because there was like the resurgence. Of well, so that was COVID. 22 because this they actually had the AAS this so you, year. So you didn't go to Seattle is what you're yeah. saying? No. Yeah. I had friends Seattle's there. Seattle was great. Yeah. I know. I'm bummed I missed it. But, you know, I get to run the booth the whole time and meet cool friends. That's how our podcast met the Arecibo Observatory. Oh, cool. The AAS. Ah. So yeah, what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys do? What do a whole so, bunch of nerds cooped up in? So the beginning of the night is often extraordinarily chaotic. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. So so the sun's going down. You want to get going. You're never ever as organized as you, <laughs> that's right as you think you're going to be. Can't relate. Right. Imagine that. All right. And then there's often targets that you want to get before they set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you have to get the you have to get the cameras and the and the telescope going. You have to get you know, you have to get your your own personal laptop set up so that you can like figure out what you're going to observe, and like there's just this chaos of like yeah. just get going, and so like there's this frenziness that happens Sounds at the fun. very beginning. And for me personally, uh, um, the very beginning of the night, um, while all that case is going, Nora Jones is playing. Okay. <laughs> well, like go down with fishes, or like what? So some of her older stuff, like, okay. you know, uh, just... Um, Isn't that Nora Jones? We'll go down with fishes. We can probably only sing yeah, like 10 probably, seconds We can probably figure it out. Interesting. Like, we can get a phone and play it for the rest of the podcast. But I have this ritual where I have to play, uh, like, don't know, don't know Why, that don't album. Don't Know Why. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That so album. 
Is that a superstition or is that an OCD thing? Uh, yes and <laughs> yes. Okay. What would happen if you didn't play Nora Jones? Uh, it would know. melt. Yeah, the telescope totally. would melt. My, my hair would fall out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you've learned your yeah, lesson. That's how, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so are there other rituals that you... It's really about just getting things going. Often things at the very beginning of the night, you know, the gremlins come out and mm -hmm. like things yeah. just don't quite Gerard's work. But... right here. You yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, in addition to the stuff that, that one has to do with, with your own setup, your own instrument, that kind of thing, often the telescope operator, whose primary job is to protect the telescope from you, mm. um, will also be in charge of getting the telescope running. And they're, uh, say at LDT, there are things to start up at the beginning of the night. The mirror is a big floppy mirror actually. And so they have to trim up all the motors that hold the mirror in place. And so right. they do a pointing on a wavefront solution. They basically point at a star and sharpen that image of the star. And that basically involves kind of tweaking how the mirror is held. You're talking about like little jets? Yeah. Well, a little, little astronaut with a jet pack? Or? They're not little jets, but little uh, kind of pokey devices that are, you know, about a hundred of them that are holding the backside of the mirror. So the mirror is, you know, the size of a living room, but it's only about yay thick. And, hmm. and so it tends to sag in places and you hold it in just the right way so it's the right shape. But that knowledge of that shape can change from night to night as the temperature changes and things expand and contract. Hmm. And so they actually adjust that at the beginning of the night. And so you're sitting there going, I want to observe, I want to observe. Mm. And they're doing a wavefront solution. And you can often negotiate with the TO about, you know, well, I want to do the star first before you do the wavefront solution. And, you know, I just, I don't care if the data is not perfect. Bring those some jerky and a Diet Coke. Oh, yeah. And I'll be like, all right. There is a long tradition of bribing uh, your bribing TO. Bribing the TO. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. And, and that's gotten interrupted a bit because of COVID. A lot of the observing was remote. And, uh, but yeah, it's. You know, you learn which TO likes what chocolate or what, what mm -hmm. beef jerky or what coffee. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. It's New part, goal, become a TO. It is part of the relationships. Mm, okay. Of course, we have TOs watching this right now going, what the hell? I haven't yeah, got yeah. anything for ages. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah. Be easier to barter with is the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I do a lot of my observing at Palomar Observatory where the 200-inch... Hale telescope is, mm -hmm. and that has its own problems because that telescope is 75 years old. Yep. Um, and it it has its own quirks and, you know. You it's know. seen some stuff. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. it just, you know, it's completely different than starting up the LDT, which is, yeah. you know, what is it, 10 years old, 15 years old? 10. 10. Last year. 10, I mean, 10 it's years. similarly sized telescope from the standpoint of how big the main mirror is. It's 4.3 meters versus 5 meters. But at the same time, the moving mass on LDT is like 140 tons, and on Palomar, it's like 500 tons yeah, moving mass. It's just a completely different technology. The the piece that actually moves to point the telescope on the sky is uh, just much more of a battleship at Palomar than it is. Mm. It's more of a kind of a sports car at LDT. Okay. It's just the changes in technology over the last 75 years. Yeah. Right, and even so, in the last ten years, I can oh, imagine. Oh, and even in the last, and every year it gets everything changes. Yeah. Right. So things like things like the the effort at the LDT where they have to like make sure that the mirror shape is exactly perfect. They don't do that at Palomar because the mirror is so big and thick, it just holds its shape. It's mm. a giant slab. Yeah. And then we have the instrument cube. I know that's, that's like right. the Swiss Army knife toy for astronomers if they want to like take a photo or study something different. Yep. Yeah. So on so on Palomar, we we can only have one instrument on the on the back end of the telescope or one instrument at the top end, yeah. and we can choose which ones we want to use. But like we don't have the rotating cube of instruments 
rotating cube of death. The the instrument cube on LDT is real unique. Uh, there's a few it's other really places cool. that it's really cool. It, it it's makes it so very cool. flexible, versatile. I mean, it makes it so that um, I can be assigned you know a quarter night slice of time on LDT and I'll do my thing, and then you know come ten o'clock we'll switch over to Deborah Fisher at Yale, and you basically have a mirror inside the cube that flips, and you go from her from my camera to her camera, and so they're actually cool. multiple cameras at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, that's the the part of the uh, the 3D model. Yep, um, <laughs> the part that you broke off. You were like <laughs> poking at it. Look how cool that is! Oh, wow. Clunk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so you've um, you've brought your uh, your your bribe snaps. <laughs> yeah. You've organized this this unorganized organized chaos at the beginning. Um, you've found your object. The telescope operator is eating his Skittles in the corner very happily. Mm -hmm. Nora Jones has is, finished her Nora last Jones, refrain. Nora Jones is coming in. And although it's often followed by um, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Nice. Wow. Uh, okay, now we're talking. For you. Yeah, well, for <laughs> me. Right. What do you listen to? Offspring, Scorpions, that kind of we thing. We do yeah, not have <laughs> similar music tastes in any way, shape, or form. It is amazing that we have remained Van Halen. Friends, this is amazing that we have gone observing together and actually not killed each other. It's like goes from like Nora Jones to Five Finger Death yeah, Punch back yeah. to so like, a completely yeah. different That's amazing. Set, it is a completely different set of <laughs> of, of um, musical tastes. Fantastic. So but, you know, the, it adds the, to the chaos. The, ner the Nerf dart guns help. Right. Yeah. 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 You do so, stuff to keep yourself awake. You know. It's... <laughs> so you've 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 selected your playlist. Uh, then what happens? Well, if we do have long stretches, then we'll throw on, say, a movie uh -huh. and just hang out and watch that. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, if if I am doing the observing where you've got to really kind of pay attention, you'll mm -hmm. maybe put on a movie that you know really well and you just can kind of have it on mm -hmm. the background. Mm -hmm. Like what? So, well, there's a whole retinue yeah. of these. Um, all these years. What are your right. most repeated movies? Pro probably the single most movie that I've watched the most in, in – over all the years is probably Forbidden Planet. <gasps> oh, I uh -huh. love Forbidden Planet. That's probably because it's it's. But all the creepy sounds at night, really, that isn't. So I have a really funny story about that. So I was observing at the four meter on Kitt Peak in Arizona, so nice. outside of outside of Tucson, and the four meter is this massive building. It's like I don't know, it's like four or five stories, yeah. and so you're on like the fifth story or something. Uh, in the observing room, the fourth story. I don't remember which floor. It is. I've been there in a long time, but the night I was observing. Uh, the bathrooms upstairs were not working. So you had to go all the way down mm. to the bottom to go to the bathroom. And I had chosen to watch, uh, for the first time ever, uh, Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> oh. And then I... That's a good movie. And then that at like great. two in the morning, I was like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And then... And, and it had only been like the second or third time I'd ever been in that building, mm -hmm. right at that telescope, and got completely lost downstairs. Oh, no. And then there's like a part of me like, so... Are the monsters coming? Should I get back upstairs where there's light? The, the merman's going to get you. <laughs> That's right. Merman. Uh, Forbidden Planet is a classic. I love that one. What's yours? So it, it, I have to kind of calibrate things with, say, the TO that I have. You know, mm. if I watch a movie like Shoot 'Em Up or mm -hmm. something like that, mm -hmm. you know, it may not be the right thing for right. for people that that don't have that kind Maybe of. Maybe it's a Princess Diaries kind of night. That's or well or. L.A. Story or, mm, you know, mm -hmm. Groundhog Day or, you know, kind of... My top three. Oh, yeah. Groundhog Day is in my top three. And they're, you know... Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd go with that. That's that's a good movie. Oh, yeah. I know every word of that movie. I'm very annoying to watch mm -hmm. it with. <laughs> so, 
what about um, do you watch like new movies? Do you download this or do you just have like a library? Like I'm trying to picture the scene here. Is mm-hmm. there like like is it like a an old blockbuster? You just like look through the DVDs that you have, or you pull up Netflix. I, I have a folder on my computer with files that have a whole stack of these films. In yeah. fact, there's a there's a folder titled "Observing Classics." Really? Yeah. Where there is, you know, Groundhog Day and Princess Bride, and oh my God, you know, that's my number one. And then uh, usually a whole collection of very bad uh, space movies like Gravity or Interstellar doesn't even rank to get in. It's that not folder. on there. It's not even in that. Okay, folder. so we have talked about a famed episode on this podcast. First, it's in our contract that we have randomly mentioned Ger- Gerard in like almost every podcast, and I think this is the first time that no. You were in another one that did record. Yeah. Um, there was a recording, and for whatever reason, the audio didn't work. And Gerard had like a 40-minute yes. rant <laughs> about Interstellar <laughs> that we were so excited about. And people have written us mm-hmm. as early as like December. I mean, we're talking it's been over a year since we recorded this podcast. People are like, we still want the forbidden episode about Interstellar. <laughs> so this might be a good moment. To talk about what one of, a one great of the world's movie. crappiest movie that is. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson, the world's best top astronaut. Well, extraordinarily well known and yeah. super smart and yes. very nice guy. Loves this movie. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean he has good taste in movies. <laughs> so <laughs> Sorry, what, Neil. I I <laughs> come on our podcast and talk about it. No. Um I heard that yeah. <laughs> I heard that it was one of the most scientifically accurate representations of theoretical physics. So this is one of the things that grates at me, mm-hmm. is that when it came out, there was a lot of hype about how they had consulted with yes. Kip Thorne, who wrote the book on gravitation. And and actually, he literally wrote the book on gravity. It's this tome that's about this thick, and it has its own gravitational field, the book Gravitation from oh, Kip Thorne. Oh, very good. And so they, there, was, there was a lot of... Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, sensationalism over that. And then uh, to actually watch the film after that kind of build up, I was just like, no, this is terrible. This it was is, terrible. You know, you know it, uh, it it had a few nods towards, you know, some of the things that are involved with gravitation and interstellar flight. But it really kind of went off the rails and was, I thought, just kind of a pointless, hollow story. Time dilation? Yeah, you know, the time dilation that was in effect that comes out of... Uh, out of extreme gravitational fields, great. Check that box. You know, nice. You, you okay. want a cookie? Add a boy. Uh-huh. Um, the cube. Uh, which wait? Which cube? The, At the spoilers. No. At spoilers. the end. Oh uh, yeah, then it's like oh the, you know, love is the fourth dimension or something like that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. really. I no. mean, <laughs> do you not agree with what Bruce Willis worked to find out that love was the? You mean other element? Yeah. Oh, 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 it's not that far off. Yeah. from the fifth element. Yeah, it just—it was so slow and mm. so silly. Mm. See, I actually and, don't really remember much of it anymore I know, because just, I watched it once and I was like, "Wow, that really sucked." And yeah. I'm gonna really, move, gonna move on with my life. Another film where they spend trillions of dollars to rescue Matt Damon. <laughs> that is fair. Yep. That is honestly very fair. He's—he's he's your typical stereotypical like heroine. You know, it's Matt Damon. He. He needs help, and then we've just yep. we've just switched it around. Okay, so I really I did. It. I really did enjoy The Martian. Oh yeah, a lot. That was great, and the book was really good too. Have you read Project Hail Mary? I have not. We did a podcast I have. on it. It's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was good fun. Oh, it's such good fun. If you're studying planets and other solar systems, you need to read. Okay, I will do that. Project Although Hail I've Mary. never watched The Martian while observing, I should. I need to change that. 
But you've, you've seen the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and he not, saves not, himself. Just not, watch, just not watching it while observing. Yeah. So, And the movie you pick also, um, while you're observing, also depends a little bit on whether you're not you're by yourself or not, or yeah. even, you know, or if the TO is even paying attention. Right? Yeah. So if I'm just observing by myself, I will often watch old movies. I'm a giant old movie. They've fan. invented color film, you they know. They have invented color. Wait, like Charlie Chaplin? <laughs> so I do love Charlie Chaplin, but my absolute favorite movie of all time is Laura, 1944, Gene okay. Tierney, Dana mm-hmm. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Dana Andrews. And they remade it He's into, from a, the town into where a I lived Burt in. Reynolds film in the 80s called Sharky's Machine. Or, yes. Oh, yeah. Was that the name of it? It was really bad. Mm. But anyway... Um, uh, but often, like if I'm observing with, you know, especially students or, or, um, wait, or, students will sit and observe for like credit hours or no, 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 as a part so, of research? Students, students that are working with me or, oh, or, okay. or I often bring, often have summer students who work with me and I bring them observing. Mm. Uh, I, I bring students observing a lot so they can, oh. so they can get the experience. Yeah. It's important to give them that experience and. You know, to be, I think, a good scientist, you really need to understand where your data comes from. And mm-hmm. having a hands-on involvement with the collection of data, I think, teaches you a lot about what to believe in when you see your data, what to right. what to trust, I think is a better word. Right. So you'll, but like, check all, in but, on but it. But they often don't have the patience to watch a film from 1940. No. Really? The pacing. It's just too so much So my photo. children, notwithstanding, because they had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I have brought... Uh, my youngest observing with me multiple times over the years. Really? Yeah. So uh, I took Chris observing starting when they were 16. And I think the last time I took Chris observing was, well, probably actually just before the pandemic, I think was the last time Chris went observing. Have you seen Ball of Fire? I have not. about like appropriate Dana Andrews? I have not. Oh, okay. You got to watch it. All right. You have to add that to my list. It's It's a classic black and white and okay it's absolutely well, maybe i have seen it i just didn't recognize the title mm. so that happens a lot with me where i'm like i've seen this movie what is this and has the the dude who does the voice for the caterpillar in alice in wonderland is in it and he's a fantastic right I, I, now the I bartender from casablanca is in it he's amazing i absolutely absolutely need to see this movie oh god okay it's right. so good all right um but i just thought like appropriate name i know like stars aren't fire whatever no, no that's yeah. great Ball of plasma. Ball of no. plasma. <laughs> it didn't test market, so they changed yeah. the name. Well, you know, the moon is basically a big giant rock. So why, can't the, why can't the sun be a big giant ball of fire? That's right. You know what? And so we're getting a little non sequitur, which is completely really? fine. Um, <laughs> I was up until one o'clock uh, this morning. That's your point? Uh, yes, that is it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to. <laughs> um, I learned the, um, the what is it? Young's. Uh, the wave particle, the young double slit experiment, the yes. wave particle duality, the duality, yes, and then how light changes, whether or not it acts as a wave or a particle, based on if someone is perceiving it or observing it. Yes, I need an astronomer's take on this. Can you please explain to our audience because it's not yeah. often we get y'all are so busy with your cool movies and yeah. bar and well, <laughs> bribing. That's the more important part. That's the fun part that I want to focus on. Um, though you, you guys are always so busy. So while you're here, I would like mm-hmm. you to please explain this the to... wave-particle duality? Yes. So um, my take on this is that uh, it's described in physics by the de Broglie wavelength. Is that right? Which is its own interesting story. Um, Louis de Broglie came up with this idea when he was like 23 and submitted his PhD thesis centered around it, which was like five pages long. 
And not his only- His thesis was five pages? Yes. Okay. And not only got his degree, but then ended up winning a Nobel for this. I mean, Nobels were cheap back then, I guess. But- uh, <laughs> I majored in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, what it connects to is, is uh, the, the speed of something and its mass. And if you're in kind of a sweet spot, it'll it'll manifest itself as a particle, and in other uh, regimes, it'll manifest itself as a wave. And there are things, there are places where they do cross over. And once it's in wave territory, all kinds of funky quantum mechanical things happen, such as if you're observing it or not, that may. Mm-hmm. seem like it changes its behavior. So this is um, basically <laughs> the experiment of shining light through like a, say like a, a cardboard or something with yes. two slits in it. And the light shines through, bends around, and then creates an interference pattern showing that these are waves that are now interfering with each other. And uh, some very clever fellow decided to shine a, a photon, like one single photon yep. at a time. And it still created the interference pattern, which made no sense because it shouldn't have had anything to interfere with. Because in the particle sense, it's passing through slit A or slit B. One or the other. But if it's a wave, it goes through both. Right. Yeah. Um, And so they were like, well, that's kind of weird. Let's put sensors on these slits and see if the particle is going through slit A or slit B, what's happening here. And when they did that, it stopped making the interference pattern. Once you actually know which slit it's going through, it reverts to particle behavior at that point. <laughs> what I learned last night that kept me up until 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> ah. is that what they did was they used these sensors to to take this data. They took it to a computer and they put it in a cache that was immediately deleted so that they would mm. retrieve the data, but it would be impossible to record or see after the experiment. And the light acted as a, there was an interference pattern. So it acted as a wave. Oh, interesting. So then they ran a script that could retrieve this cached data in the computer to retrieve that information. And the light acted as a particle. So even if it wasn't just the Hmm. sensors on these strips, it was something that happened in the computer. The light changed the way it behaved. And I didn't believe the first thing I read. So I read five different things about this and had a complete meltdown and got into simulation theory and uh, is light sentient. And I was awake until 1 o'clock in the morning. There's a lot that connects to coherence theory as as far as if you can preserve coherence that way, um, then you will see these effects. But it can be tricky to preserve. And I have another question. And this relates to Schrodinger's cat. I thought we were going to talk about movies. No. (laughs) Uh, well, you guys sounded smart, so I was like, let me take advantage of this. Uh, <laughs> um, good sales. Yeah. Go. Isn't the Schrodinger's cat a, um, a, uh, like a satire to show how silly this It was a thought experiment. Was. It was a thought experiment. And, and it was a bit over the top, but, uh, you know, it's had lasting power as mm-hmm. a thing that illustrates, uh, the, the connection of microscopic quantum theory with the macroscopic world. And I did have a point to this. So I was okay. awake. I was awake for several hours reading about this. Do you guys ever get down rabbit holes of interesting things within your field that don't necessarily have anything to do with your research while you're up late at night? The mm. things that give us existential crises that keep us up late at night mm-hmm. or is it just no thoughts only movies? Like do you do you get in these like wormhole like these like Sometimes yeah. yeah, so so often while we observe, especially if you're observing alone and there's not like, like or or well, it's in the back, or you have like students or something and they're running everything and you're just sort of sitting in the background mm. trying to like make sure they don't 
you know, set the computer on fire or something. Right. Right. Uh, often spend that nice quiet time like doing like actual real like detailed work that like I can't concentrate on, you know, during the normal business hours because I have, you know, administrative stuff oh, to I deal see. with or, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. Or that call from NASA headquarters, right, <laughs> which I'm going to have to call them back mm -hmm. after this is over, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's a great time mm -hmm. to actually just stop and focus and think about the science and the projects that you want to do. And then that often leads to, I don't really understand how this, and you go off and you go research something, you end up reading a bunch of papers mm -hmm. or or um, some literature that you're like, you know, really didn't have anything to do yeah. with right. the, with the okay. original question that you were doing, but, but it led down this whole thought process of, mm -hmm. um, and you use that, use that quiet, peaceful time to like, oh yeah. And then it gets interrupted by, you know, help, I, the camera's not doing what it's supposed oh, to be doing. okay, okay, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Or the movie has stopped and you have to pick a new movie. Right, 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 right. Put a new tape in. Yeah. Well, they're digital. Right, right, right. Yeah. actual. Although yeah. when we were in graduate school, uh, there was a entire VHS library oh, yeah. at the observatory. Really? And it had the whole original Star Trek series <gasps> was there. And, and, and Next Generation. Yep. Which is your favorite? Next Generation. Oh. <laughs> I can even tell you which one my favorite episode. Next, Next generation, generation or TOS? Next generation. Do you want to know? Do you care? Yeah. What's your favorite episode? So my my uh, um, my favorite episode is Tapestry, Next Generation. Mm -hmm. So Jean Luc Picard uh, gets stabbed or gets shot um, in the heart, and he dies on the Enterprise. And Q comes and saves him. Okay. And gives him. And the reason Picard died. Uh, was he had an artificial heart because he was stabbed went in the back by by a Norsican, I think that was the name of the species, uh, while he was in the academy. I told you I know this episode very well. <laughs> while he was in the academy, and if that if that event had not happened and he had a real heart, he would have he would have survived being shot, you know, hmm. 30 years later. So Q gives him the opportunity to go back in time, fix his mistakes, mm -hmm. and have a real heart. And that happens. Um, and then, of course, Jean-Luc Picard's whole life, like, mm. un unravels, right. right? And the whole point of this episode, and I, and I, what I, the reason I really like it, is it, it's, it's symbolic of we are who we are because of all the things, good and bad, that we've gone through and good and bad that we've done. And it doesn't make us good or bad people because we've done good or bad things. It's just that's what we're built from. And, and life is about mistakes and learning from those mistakes and moving forward. And I absolutely love the message of that episode. I mean, I also love the next generation. That's the mm -hmm. one that I got. Sorry, that was like a, like I got like whole soap boxes. That <laughs> well, I can so I'm curious. So when you're talking about why this was your favorite episode, you really focus on like the story of it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Did the, like the science side of Star Trek bother you at all the no. way the interstellar no. did? No. Because it's they, also they use it as as a backdrop and not as you know yeah. the actual fundamental reason for existence like they did in in Interstellar. This is yeah. a fair point. Yeah. This is a fair point. And the story in the Interstellar sucked. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> the story. It was about like a book falling and yeah, there was, there was a book like, and you were looking through the bookshelf and yeah, yeah a father and daughter Matthew McConaughey is driving around in a truck that has flat tires. Who cares? We're gonna get some hate yeah. mail. From, <laughs> we're gonna get some hate mail out of this Bring podcast. Art mail. Yeah. Hey, drive up our. <laughs> we did we did an episode that upset a lot of people where we um, 
satirically made a comment that if we, we looked at the definition of life from a scientific mm -hmm. perspective and tried to make a silly argument that uh, like, well, maybe the AI in cars makes, you know, is that mm -hmm. alive? Because it can replicate. We were just playing yeah. with it. And everyone was like, cars aren't alive. <laughs> we're like, guys, we're kidding. Um, so yeah, but that drives our engagement. That's one of our most viewed <laughs> episodes. So yeah, say whatever inflammatory things you want. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what have I not, done? That's probably not a good idea. Um, so you watch Star Trek at night as well back? Not so much. Usually just movies. Yeah. yeah. And when you um, were in graduate school, what was the... What did we do with... Uh... So, I mean, so don't forget, right? So, I mean, we were in graduate school in the early to mid-90s. Right, so the internet wasn't quite what it is today. There, no. was, there was no streaming Netflix or anything like that. What? I guess. No. Right? And uh, um, DVDs were barely on, oh, yeah, not on, even, the, yeah. on their way. Right? So everything was on VHS yep. tape. The internet was new and young. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have the, really... I think, entire original series of Star Trek on VHS in my house. Well, there, you oh, there we go. Yeah. I'm a fan. So, Play, so, so, the, so the observatory, so we went to the University of Wyoming where they have a two and a half meter uh, hmm. Telescope and the observatory had a cat. Um, oh, you awesome. butes. Yeah, and the cat was the, brought there to to help control the mouse population. <laughs> um, Every mouse yeah. at Lowell Observatory is called um, Charles Mousier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, we okay, like to protect really our funny. mice. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so you would watch the original series on VHS, or were there movies there that you would watch? There were movies there time? too. I yeah. don't remember. I don't Do you like play cards or? I don't remember what much movie watching. I mean, they the 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 observatory at Wyoming. They they had a control room, and then they actually the living quarters kind of right abutted there. There wasn't a separate cottage a mile away, um, and so you could very easily just kind of step over into the next room and have the TV on there. Oh, and okay. I think that's what we did. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. So um, to come, I think we were full... also more serious back then too. What in graduate <laughs> yeah. school? Yeah, yeah, Ger probably. Gerard was what? Serious? Yeah, no fun. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, like, say to come full circle. So you've watched um, the 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 lesser series of uh, Star Trek. Mm. You have um, enjoyed Groundhog Day. You've listened to Nora Jones or whatever. Um, and towards the end of the night, you're wrapping up your observation mm -hmm. process. What happens? Like, what's the... So a thing that you'll do is you'll push the data. You'll you'll take the data that has been collected on the computer and you'll send it to a repository that is massively backed up and redundant and that kind of thing okay. so that you can... Uh, uh, you can withstand right. any problems with that. Save your um, work. Oftentimes, um, depending work. on the instrument, you may have, say, some calibration data to take. Um, we'll take pictures of blank sky and use that to basically tell us what the response is across the chip uh, for certain imaging devices. And uh, so the whole process of taking flats is this, this imaging blank sky, and there's a whole dark art to that as well. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and so and that's always done with the telescope operator, kind of looking at you like, "Are you done yet? Yeah, <laughs> are you done yet? I want to go, go home. home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah." And then, uh, then you'll head off to wherever you know if you're actually on site, you head off to whichever sleeping quarters there is or that kind of thing, and try to get some the sleep. Pods. And, yes. The sleeping pods. Oh, so the, uh, the the tos have the pods, and we actually have a cabin for the the observe for the the astronomers. A so, a yes. cabin? Yep. I thought that's where the, the sleeping pod was over in the LDT. Yeah, it's like there's weird ranch farm. Yeah, we've 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 uh 
gone through iterations of that. And actually, I'm not sure where that currently stands because oh, okay. it's all with COVID, a lot of that transition to remote observing. Oh. And so a lot of what I do now is all observe from home. You still do this remote observing? Yeah. That's Are right. the days of movies at the <sighs> LDT? Just... I, I've been wanting to get back into in-person observing because it's just, you know, it, it's it's got a certain romance to it. So, yeah. there, so there is something very magical. Yeah. To come out at the at the end of the night, sun is coming up, um, and all the birds are just starting to wake up. And you walk outside, and you've just spent the night staring at the universe. There's mm-hmm. actually something really magical about walking out that that morning. And then, of course, you have to like before you go to bed. There, I absolutely need a glass of wine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I always picture Bourbon. you like Bourbon. driving down Lake Mary in the Subaru Legacy at like five o'clock oh. in the morning. I was like, that sounds like fun. I, I hate doing a drive like that after I've been observing. I don't think it's very safe actually because you're, oh, you're kind okay. of out of it. And so I, I like to, if I do spend the night at the telescope there, then I like to stay at the telescope where we have that cabin. Right, so. right, right. Yeah, I, I, I remember really vividly uh, my last night of observing when I was a graduate student at IOTA. So this was a, a facility in Southern Arizona at the time. And yeah, you come out of the the observatory and you open the door and the dawn is just coming up and it's kind of neat. The birds are chirping. And the thing was, is that that was facing to the east in the direction of New Mexico. And they had actually just done a test, test launch of a missile out of White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. And the the exhaust from this rocket had interacted with the upper atmosphere and was just getting lit by the sun coming up over the horizon. And it was iridescent. It was like staring at a sky that was the inside of an oyster shell. And it was so cool. Beautiful. And it was very magical for my last night of observing as a, as a graduate student. So that's that's the morning I remember. Yeah, that, that same mountaintop a few years later, mm-hmm. I, I was stuck by a mountain lion. <laughs> so so there's a bunch of telescopes on that on that ridge. And it was the end of the night, or it was the morning, and I was walking back. And as you're walking back to the dorm, there's a cliff. Yeah. Um, and I looked up, and there was a mountain lion staring down at me. And I was like, I'm too big for you. <laughs> she you was scream a, at it? You're supposed to scream she, at it. She was just looking at me. She, oh, okay. she had no interest in taking on something that was, you know, almost six feet in length. She was just She was just like, so You could just see the muscles mm-hmm. in her. She was so pretty. Sizing you up. Yeah, she order. definitely was sizing me up. And that'd be a whole other podcast episode is thinking about, you know, discussing as an astronomer, the things that can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that would be a long episode. Uh, Everyone, yeah, actually. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, I almost asphyxiated myself once. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. yeah I was, so we use, we use. Liquid, <laughs> I need an explanation. Okay, so, so we use liquid nitrogen mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. to cool our cameras because they operate at very cold temperatures. Okay. And it was the end of, it was the end of the End of a. Yes. It was the end of an observing run. Okay. And we have these forty liter containers of nitrogen, and I was consolidating them into, um, so I could bring down the empties, bring the empties down the mountain. And I thought you were doing it in an enclosed space. I thought the room (laughs) was well enough vented. I was wrong. And all of a sudden, I realized that like I couldn't see very well, no. and, my, and somewhere the lizard part of my brain said, "Get out!" And I ran out just in time before I passed out. <gasps> and if and I and because it was the end of the run, everybody else had already headed down the mountain. No. And I was up there by myself because I was going to lock up and leave. Right, I was going to be five minutes behind them. 
And if I had not gone out, I would have passed out on the floor and they would have found my dead body three days later. Right? No way. Oh, yeah, no. absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. Lesson learned. Wow. Yeah. And it, but aren't these open? Aren't, aren't the domes open? So, but that area that, was like a little closet. It was a little, of. it was a little closed in and, I, and the doors were Friend. open. The, the doors were open, but it, it, there wasn't enough ventilation. Hello. And yeah. so, and then the cold nitrogen is heavy and then it warms up and it expands. And so it just pushed all the oxygen out of the room. Yep. Well, not all of it, but enough where like lizard brain kicked in and said, get out. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I find I thought you were going to talk about all the things that could kill you in space, but you're talking about all the things. Oh, no, 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 all the things that could kill you at the telescope. <laughs> at the telescope. And there's the mechanical stuff. There's the wildlife between the mountain lions and the snakes and the scorpions and, and the spiders and the spiders. The to who's tired of your crap. That's right. But, you know, I'm not watching. <laughs> there are stories. So. Planet again. Not again. <laughs> so uh, I just want to end this with a question: Is looking back at your observation nights mm -hmm. uh what is a moment that stands out or one of your favorite moments um that doesn't include maybe like um near death since we <laughs> so when david and i were observing at palomar one night there's so you're talking about you know you know what is it like when observing starts and ends and so we had uh the telescope we were observing at that one one point there was a startup period where you got done but then there was this 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 interim period between when it was not quite dark enough and then dark enough to observe and so you, we would go outside and kind of watch the sky and it goes from the blue to the deep purple to mm -hmm. the black. And we're sitting there looking at the sky and we see a spot on the sky that is darker than the rest of the sky. Mm -mm. And it's moving no. slowly mm -mm. across the sky <laughs> and it touches down at the end of the driveway. <laughs> we're like, Thanks what? for listening to our podcast. <laughs> That's right. Cut. <laughs> And we're like, a little put off by this, actually. And we kind of, with some trepidation, go out to the end of the driveway and find a giant mylar bumblebee balloon <laughs> that what? had probably blown up from SeaWorld or something. And so we took it inside and stapled it to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Not a UFO. And it stayed there till the end of the day, end of days for that observatory. Well, I guess it was a UFO until you identified it as a bumblebee That's balloon. Exactly That's exactly right. right. So, so we have a published paper that... Yes. That warns all of the observers that telescope to be on the lookout for giant inflatable bumblebees. Yes, this he, is fair. He Was submitted it? that paper. And, and the, the referee hated the <laughs> fact that oh, we no. put that in the acknowledgments. And the editor wrote, wrote me back and said, so you should respond to the referee however you want, but I personally want to know what the story is about the giant inflatable <laughs> bumblebee. Yep. Were you a part of the Pokemon project? I am. Yep. Can you tell uh, us really quickly this acronym? Because Pokemon. they have not heard it. The Poconon. Yeah, so we have had a survey of nearby stars. So the, the sun has small stars that are near it out to 10, 15 light years. And uh, we decided to call this survey the Pokemon Survey, which is the pervasive overview of companions, with a K, of every M dwarf in our neighborhood. And you can pull Pokemon out of that. And so, yeah, we looked at... A thousand it's completely unintentional. It's no, crazy how no. that happened. And it was great because, you know, we were looking at the thousand nearby small stars that are that are near the sun, and you got to catch them all, just like with Pokemon. We looked at every single one of them. And uh, yeah, we found things out. And every time we made a discovery, we made a uh, we made a little fake Pokemon card for the for the star as well. This is why you're my favorite. <laughs> uh, what's your weird memory? 
Weird memory. Uh, God, there's so many. Yeah. Uh, Gotta catch them all. So it's amazing. Uh, so Jor and I, um, when we observe together, often <laughs> get ourselves in trouble. So we, we so, no. yeah. So we, so we've had more than one Nerf dart fight. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> which broke the printer. Which broke the printer. Yeah. Oh, no. so, so actually, these were little plastic discs, not the disc guns. You ever yeah, remember? Yes, yeah. yes, so yes, anyway, yes. Unbeknownst to us, we um, we got one of those discs like caught into the printer and it got jammed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like four weeks later, <laughs> somebody was trying to print something and it jammed and caught the printer on fire. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So did the telescope operator just walk into the woods after this? Yeah. <laughs> just disappear into was the brush. Kevin? It was Kevin. Yeah. So Kevin, if you're listening to this. Yeah, sorry, Kevin. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was them. They did uh, it. But that was a long time ago. Actually, he knows that. Oh, okay, good. And so um, I'm sure he wasn't surprised. It's fine. By us? No. no. Not at all. No. <laughs> um, so uh, I was on the dome once. This was actually in graduate school. Um, and uh, the way this dome, way the, the way the dome rotated, there were these uh, uh, rail, power rails all the way around. And there were these like little shoes that sat on the rails so that the dome had power so that the dome could rotate. And during the day, somebody had left a pair of pliers oh, on the rails. And uh, don't cross the streams. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I was out in the middle. I was, it was the middle of the night. It was like three in the morning or something. Um, and I was doing something with the camera. And at the same time, we were going to a different place in the sky. So the dome was rotating. Mm. And the shoe got caught on the pliers <laughs> and, um, and caused a short across. The rails. There was this massive electrical explosion, um, and like everything came to a stop. We blew up like every <laughs> single freaking fuse, and I realized that yeah, I'm pretty sure I peed my pants that night. <laughs> <laughs> and the dome was then stuck open. Oh yeah, it was yeah. this whole mess. We had to close the dome by, you know, by hand. Yep. And, you know, anyway, other like ways it can kill you. Yeah, other <laughs> other ways that you can kill you, like like self electrocution, high voltage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I like to point out that it was not my fault. No, just so we were all really clear. <laughs> it was Gerard's fault. I wasn't there. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, thank you for talking about what astronomers do. You like this title? What astronomers do? I do. Yeah. It's right? like mysterious. Right. Because right? it's not, you know, we don't sit there at the telescope looking through an eyepiece like you no. see. Right. You know, um, there's not an eyepiece on it typically. Yeah. Most, yeah, yeah. Most professional telescopes, there's, there's no eyepiece. It is a lot of computer work. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not just like staring at a computer and like, you know, clicking on the keyboard and right. like yeah. it, it's a lot of preparation it's a lot of it's a lot of decision making because like what are we going to do next it's a lot of camaraderie because you see often see the same telescope operators yep. this you know over oh, and over yeah. again or you're with your students or with your best friend mm-hmm. i mean we haven't gone observing together in a long time but but you know it, it it's it's a very human endeavor mm-hmm. and, and sometimes the movie, there's groundhog day <laughs> and the movies help yes well, thank you for joining us. Where can our listeners find you if they want to follow you online or ask you questions? So I'm on Twitter at Fringe Doctor. I'm on social media. <laughs> so they can find me. Send at, me a note. No, yeah, send him a note. They'll come find me. <laughs> All right. Tweet at Gerard and he'll get it to his buddy yeah. if you have any questions. Um, and if you want to know what NASA headquarters said, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> ask us in the comments. Ask us later. The next right. the, the, uh the next podcast. Yes, the next podcast. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in and you can uh, join our Discord if you have any questions for these two fellows. Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye. you.
This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.